0: Okay, so today we're going to talk about something pretty serious. As you can see from our sign here, our question this week is all about prayer. And we had two very specific uh questions, not what is prayer or how do you pray, but they were they were questions pertaining to mode of prayer or how to pray and things like that. So I'm going to share with you the questions. Then we're going to look at what prayer actually is. And then we're going to go back and answer those questions, and then we'll have a short time of Q&A. Okay? So the first question was this. I don't know who asked these questions either. So if you were the one who asked it, uh, you know, you don't have to volunteer. This is all anonymous. And um, I like it that way. So that way, uh, nobody has to feel like, oh, I asked a question and everybody knows about it. Number one, is it best not to pray for someone that you should put out of your life? Okay? Number two, let's say I'm having a bad day and want to pray. Where do I go in the Bible? Could you give me direction for marriage, parenting, hardship, etc.? These are two very good questions. And um, without knowing what prayer actually is, we could answer that all kinds of ways. As a a church, as a faith, and as a relationship with Jesus, we are not the only uh, system on this planet that believes in prayer. Even folks who are non-affiliated, they are... They haven't made a decision. They don't know which boat they're in when it comes to their faith. They still believe in prayer. You can go online and find studies and, and, and statistics about, uh, you know, the medical field and people who believe that prayer, uh, works and does something. And even, even non-religious studies will tell you that those folks who pray to anything or anyone tend to recover faster and, and recuperate better, and, and that there's a just a great power in prayer. But we as Christians have been called to pray in a very specific way, in a very specific manner, to a very specific person. We don't just pray vague, general prayers in the same way that, that husbands and wives don't talk to everybody about everything, that there are there is a very specific person they go to. It's their spouse, and that's who you talk to about everything. And so, when you're in your relationship and things are going bad, you don't go talk to everybody else in the world. You go to your spouse and you talk to them. When when things are when you're struggling in life, when God doesn't make sense, when Jesus seems distant, you don't go and, and go off to other gods and find out what Jesus is doing. You go back straight to God. You keep that connection to Him. We're continuously praying to God. It's specific. It's deliberate. It's aimed at Jesus. It's, 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 a, it's, it's aided by Jesus. The end goal is Jesus. So let me give you a couple of warnings. The first warning is this. Some of our biggest struggles are not going to be truth and untruth. It's going to be truth conflicting with tradition. Some of us have traditions, things that we do. We may not even know why we do them, but we do them because we feel like they are right. And then somebody like me comes and preaches a sermon that will be uh that will conflict with that tradition, and then you're like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I should do this, I was taught to do this, I was raised to do this, and now you're telling me that the Bible says something else. If it's truth coming against tradition, truth must supersede tradition. Okay, traditions are good. I'm gonna put up a tree in my Christmas in my house this year out of tradition. Okay. But that tradition comes second to the word of God. Any tradition I might have. Some of you might say, well, I believe that, you know, I met a lady who told me this once. I have to face east to pray. Okay. Is that true or false? For her, she really felt like she was talking to God if she faced east. So be it. But where her tradition is okay, It doesn't supersede the truth of God, which tells us that God is everywhere, that God can be sought in any direction. And so she's allowed to do that, but the truth supersedes. Now, if she were to say that's the only way to pray, then we'd say no truth. The truth that we can pray, that we have access to God through Jesus, any time of the day, any direction we face, in any mood we might be in, whether our eyes are closed or our heads are bowed, the truth supersedes the tradition. And so if you have a conflict today, make sure that that is reconciled. Are you, are you holding fast to a tradition that's, that's being, that's being questioned by truth? If that's the case, then, then please hold on to the truth. If you're going to hold on to anything, hold on to that which is true. Not, not opinion, not theory but that which is true. There's lots of things about Jesus, the church, his Bible, that I don't understand completely. And so what I do is I hold those in open hands because I, if you were to ask me today, the 144,000, what does that mean? Ugh, that's a big subject. book of Revelation is a crazy book. you know. I've, I know there's lots of theories out there. And, and I always look at it as, well, I don't think I'm going to be here so I don't worry about it too much. It's still important. It's still the Word of God. It's still fruitful to study it. Um, but, I, but I hold it like this because there's still a lot of questions in my own mind. But, but Jesus being the only way of salvation, that's one I hold on too tight. I don't let go of that one. That one I'm not swayed uh, to, to think one way or the other because the Bible is so clear about it. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. And so we hold on to that truth. We hold on to the truth of the virgin birth. Because it's not only how Jesus was born, but it was prophesied that that's how he would be born. That is a truth. We don't deviate from that. Last week we talked about hell. We don't write off hell because it's unpleasant. We don't avoid it because we don't like it. We we study it. We understand it. We know that as we have our faith in Jesus, we don't have to fear it. But we don't write it off. The truth is that it's there. We we, we hold on to the truth of, of a hell that exists, where where those who do not have faith in Jesus will suffer in torment and, and, and eternal separation from God forever. Where Jesus says that uh, the worm dieth not, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and uh, it's a bad place. And eternity is a long time, and we don't want to go there. And uh, but more than that, we love Jesus, and if we love Jesus and we have faith in Him, we don't have to worry about. So we have to let the truth be our ruler or our measurement or how we measure things. Number two, the second warning, is legalism. When we talk about something like prayer, we can very easily get caught up in something called a legalism. What is a legalism? A legalism is something that we as people develop that now supersedes what we're actually doing. Let me give you a really good example. So, you're going to pray. You're asking, how should we pray? And here's classic. We've got the picture right up here. Should we do this? Should we do this? Should we do this? Legalism focuses on what your hands are doing. A relationship with Christ focuses on the fact that you're praying. And if we're so focused on how we're going to do it, we're going to miss sight. Of the fact that what we're doing in the first place supersedes how our hands are, or or, or whether we're kneeling, or whether we're bowing, or whether we're prostrate on the floor, whether we're lying in our bed, whether we're walking down the street. Many of you, I've had so many people come and tell me that they pray while they drive, and as long as you're not closing your eyes and raising your hands, that's okay. Um, but the, you know, some people, that's your commute. You have a long commute, and you just. Put on some worship music and you worship the Lord and I think it's a great way to redeem some time. Certainly, especially if it's in the morning, it's a lot better than listening to some of the morning radio shows that are on. uh, To just listen to some good music that's worshiping Jesus and just to spend some time focusing on Him. It shouldn't be your only devotional time. It's like saying I only spend time with my wife while I drive in the car and I don't make any effort any other time. She's not going to like that very much. Your wife's not going to like that very much. But if you're redeeming that time, I think that's a great thing to do. Legalism focuses on the how, focuses on, you know, what our bodies are doing, whether we've lit a candle or or who we're praying with. You as a Christian have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't necessarily need me to pray with you. I love praying with you. I will pray with you at the drop of a hat. You can come and tell me my cat's died. Can you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'm sure your heart's broken right now. I'll, I'll pray with you. Had a little boy ask me once to pray for his iguana. Okay, pray for your iguana. He's important to you. Let's pray. But do you need me to make the prayer come true or to get answered? No. No, you have as much access to God as I do. The only thing I get is to be judged more harshly because I'm up here and you're down there. So, you know, that's, that's just part of the, the package deal. All right, so those are our two warnings let's just be real honest i like to speak in terms that are just simple let's be honest when it comes to prayer what's the one thing we want answers how do we get the answers how do we make him do what we want i want this right now how do i make him give it to me because i know he's got it I know that he made the world and he sent Jesus and that God can do anything so how do I make him work on what I want right now and give me what I want now many of you don't think of it like that you dress it up a bit sounds more religious it sounds more like the King James English but at the end of the day if we just boil it down we're real honest what we want to know about prayer is how we get our prayers answered and first off that's okay. Children of a good father, they want stuff from their dad. And that's okay. Your children want things from you and they come to you, if they're like my kids, and they ask, Dad, can I have this? Dad, can we have that? And and, and my children have learned that that there are other things they can say to maybe soften up dad. Maybe if I wash a few dishes, then the wheels will be greased a little bit, and Dad's Dad's wallet will be a little more open. Or, or maybe if I'm a little nicer to my brother, or, or maybe if I'm just a little more kind to my friends, then, then maybe then I can go to my dad and say, "Hey, you know that toy we saw last week? How about we, get, how about we, go buy that?" Well, good dads and good moms want to buy stuff for their kids not because they do anything, just because they love them. I love to buy my kids stuff. We went yesterday. We were in Albany. Sarah was doing a thing, and 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 we were in Albany, and we went to Target, and they asked for little. They wanted toys, and you know, first they want the big expensive toys. And I'm like, I'm just a pastor. I don't. <laughs> I'm not the kind of pastor that has big pockets. So let's go over here where they're you know they're single digit prices. And so they each found a little toy. There's a few bucks. That's that's what I like to do. Let's just go. Let's go buy a little thing and then we'll play with the thing. I'll help you put it together and we'll have fun. And for Elliot, these little any little animal about yay big for Ethan, it's anything Lego and you just we just put them together and we just have fun. I do that not because they've earned it, not because they they have done anything to curry my favor, but simply because I love them. And the Bible tells us that God is a lot like that. I want you to walk away from here today knowing that God is not a tight fisted dad who doesn't want to answer your prayers who doesn't want to give to his children that by basic definition God is gracious giving because we are undeserving He gave to us Jesus his his most important most love of anything He gave to us freely There is nothing God can give us that is greater than his son realize that God has already given you everything in Christ Jesus. If you can walk away with that mentality today, that in Jesus I have everything. Sure, everything else might be just crumbling and he's working on that, but I have Jesus. And at the end of the day, if they take my money, if they take my house, if they take my life, I have Jesus. God has given him to me and I will have him for eternity. So I'm not here to tell you, in light of that, I'm not here to tell you, though, how to get God to answer your prayers. I'm always very skeptical and and just really, I'll just go and say it, afraid of books or sermons or series. Five steps to make God answer your prayers. Seven steps that does this. Three steps that does that. It boils everything down to a formula. How many of you with your spouses in your mind? Three steps to get my wife to make dinner. Five steps to get my husband to mow the lawn. No. No, that's not how your relationship works. And I don't think that our relationship with Jesus should work either. I'm not, some of these books might have great information. I probably am overgeneralizing and for that I'm guilty. But I'm skeptical of them because it takes the emphasis off of Jesus, puts it on what you can do, turns God into a vending machine. I put in the money. I push the button. I get what I want from the bottom. And if I don't get what I want, I bang on the machine until it falls out. God's not like that. Jesus did not come and die on a cross so that he could be represented as a vending machine to the rest of our church or our country or our culture or our world. So I I want us to focus less on how to make God do something and just focus on what prayer is and how to do it. And I want you to look at it like the two hands found in this picture. Two hands coming together, bringing together two elements that prayer is and should be. Two things working side by side simultaneously in synergy uh, as we pray okay so the first two things I want us to look at is petition and intercession the right hand you got petition left hand you have got intercession petition is asking for yourself that's okay don't think that if you go to God and you put everybody else first before you ask for yourself that you have you have snuck one past the Lord and the same way the child comes to say, hey I wash dishes can I have a bike like Hey, I prayed for everybody else. Not going to get what I want. No, but we can absolutely. We have the freedom, the blood bought freedom by Jesus to come to him and ask of him anything that we would like. Lord, I want a new job. Lord, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or this hurts. Can you make it go away? Lord, I'm asking you for the world. We can ask for anything. This is petition. And and don't overemphasize yourself, but don't neglect yourself either. Come to the Lord. Tell Him what you need. Tell Him what you want. Tell Him what hurts. Ask for everything and anything. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Just ask the Lord. Even when it sounds selfish, one of the greatest things that helps me in prayer is allowing myself to be selfish as I pray. Because then I say to myself, you know what? That sounded selfish. Lord, I changed my mind. I don't want that anymore because I see where I, I see why I'm not getting it now because I was being selfish. And so let's cross that off the list. Don't be afraid and don't let anyone tell you that you are not worthy to go and ask the Lord anything. Without Jesus, you aren't, but because you are in Christ Jesus, you are. And you can ask for anything. Intercession is asking for other people. Some people, this is their specialty. This is their gift or their calling. They just have the ability to pray for other people at the drop of a hat. You hear them pray and they just remember everything and everyone and they just pray and they just pray and they just pray and they, pray, and they wake up at four o'clock in the morning and they stay up till two o'clock at night and they're just praying all the time and they're interceding for somebody else. They are praying and asking on behalf of somebody, whether they know it or not. Some of you have been praying for friends and family to come and know Jesus. And you've probably been praying for it for a long time. You are interceding for that person, that friend, that relative. Some of you have the gift, and it flows right out of you. Other people, like me, it's it's very hard and arduous, but we do it anyways. We don't remember everything. We come together on a Wednesday night to pray, and, and everybody tells me everything, and I write it all down, and I start praying, and I still forget. It's, it's, I'm comfortable, and I'm okay with saying that that's not my gift. However, I still do it. Just because something's not our gift doesn't mean we have the green light to abandon it, to never be a part of it. If that is your gift, thank you, because I know you're praying for me. If, if you know somebody who's praying for you and intercedes for you, thank them. If it's not your gift, hallelujah, thank you for, for giving your time in that way. If it is your gift, keep using it. Don't let anybody stop you from doing it. Keep praying. Petition, intercession, they go together. Two hands coming together. It's, next two. That would be sort of the what we pray for. Next is the when and the how. Constantly and thankfully. Many of you are like me. You struggle at memorizing Bible verses. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And today I will help you to memorize a Bible verse. Because it's only two words. And if you can't memorize two words, well... We'll have a special service where we can pray for you, but I think you should be able to handle two words, uh, let alone a whole bunch of words. So, so First Thessalonians five sixteen says this: "Rejoice always." Somebody say "Rejoice always." Rejoice always. Yes, and, and say it. <laughs> yeah, Rejoice always. Like, <laughs> okay, Pastor, John. let's do it again. Rejoice always. Rejoice. Yeah, say it con ganas. That means that's in California. They get that. That's like with ferocity, like with something behind it. It was Spanish. That's don't worry about it. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Somebody say pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Who wants to take a guess as to what without ceasing means? Never stop. Okay. Some of you have not prayed since last Sunday. Right? You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But you haven't prayed since last Sunday when we prayed here at the church. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. That means never stop. That means always pray. Now, does that mean you are constantly on your knees somewhere in your house or in an open field or something or in a church and you're always praying like that. Obviously not. Because if we did that, we'd never have a chance to love people and serve people and tell people about Jesus. So, so somewhere prayer becomes, uh, not just something we do, but it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes an extension of everything we do. Prayer is constant and continuous. Whether we are, we are talking with somebody, whether we are, are, are at work and we work on a computer, whether we uh work with our hands, we are we can constantly be in prayer with the Lord. If you go throughout the Bible and you read different prayers, prayer comes in all different shapes and sizes and colors and flavors. You have folks like like Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. She goes to the temple and she prays and and the 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 priest thinks that she's drunk. He thinks she's drunk because she's not really saying any words. She's kind of just mouthing the words. She's kind of... And he thinks she's drunk, and it's so early. This poor woman, I'm glad she came to the temple. We're going to pray this out of her. And she says, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just, you know, I'm praying for a child. She's praying because she's barren. She she hasn't had a child. And she wants she wants a child. And in this moment, she's praying to the Lord, this very earnest, heartfelt, one of the greatest prayers you'll read in all of the Bible. Was it loud and boisterous? Was she commanding and shaking her fist? No, she was knelt at an altar, just kind of mouthing the words, just letting her heart pour out. You have people like Nehemiah who, who's he's struggling because he wants to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He's been exiled. He's no longer in his hometown. He wants to go back. He's, he's gotten word that it's destroyed, and he wants to go back and rebuild his homeland. He wants to go back to his hometown and fix it. And so, so he begins to pray to the Lord and to fast. And one day he shows up at work. He's a, he's a cupbearer for the king. That means he's the guy who stands between the king and his food, tastes it, and if it's poison, he dies before the king does. And so that's his job. A very, a, a very, uh, a lot of affluence in that job. A lot of, uh, you know, people know who he is. But he's a slave nonetheless. And he's, he, he, ta- you know, he's just, his face is sullen one day. He's just sad. Because of what's happening in Jerusalem, he can't hide it anymore. And if you know anything about kings and queens, being depressed in their presence could lead to your death. Because, well, why would you be so depressed in front of your magnificent king and queen? You should be filled with joy simply to be in our presence. Well, he finds favor with the king. And he's sad. And the king says, well, what, what are you, what's going on, Nehemiah? And it says, in that moment, he prayed. He didn't, pray allow, he didn't pray a loud, boisterous prayer. He didn't call out all kinds of things. He prayed an internal prayer that took probably all of a second and a half, and then began to lay out his case before the Lord. Nehemiah, what's wrong? Oh gosh, okay, I just say something. Help me, Lord. Just help me find favor, and here we go. And he and he laid out what he needed. And you know what happens? The king funds his trip to Jerusalem, and gives to him materials to rebuild the city. They rebuild the walls of the city in something like 52 days. All kinds of different... You have the Psalms. If you're still reading the Psalms, please keep doing that. You read some people just yelling. It's like the words are leaping off the page. God, where are you? Prayer comes in all different shapes colors, forms, flavors and 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 how you do it is second to actually doing it and who you're who you're praying to. So, first is constant, all the time. You're, it's a lifestyle of prayer. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Constantly and thankful verse 18 says give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you Some of you come to me and say what does the Lord want me to do? I don't know come on I'm not the Lord and he will tell you faster than I can tell you I can be wise counsel I can pray for you and then I can come to verses like this and say you know what? I know this is the will that you would be thankful in all circumstances Not just the good circumstances, but even when things don't go your way. Now, we're not sadists. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm hurting right now. We don't bury our heads in the sand and pretend we're not hurt. But it's rejoicing over Jesus even when things don't go our way. I didn't get the job, but... Jesus is my great and mighty reward. He is my shield. And whether I get the job or not, I still have Jesus. I rejoice in Him. I am thankful for what He has done, regardless of the circumstance. Some people will teach you, be thankful for what you want, and then God will give you that thing. So, I want to be healed. Well, Lord, thank you for my healing. But there's no healing. That's not a thing, okay? It's like your son or your daughter coming and saying, Dad, thank you for the Xbox One, and then running off. And assuming that they're going to get an Xbox One because they said that right then. And I'm just watching them go by and say, I, I don't have that kind of money, so I'm going to buy you an Xbox One. Um, it, that's not a thing. You know, Be truthful with the Lord. We went over that a couple of weeks ago. Just tell the Lord, this hurts and I don't like it. Can you, can you please help me? But even if this is my plight for the rest of my life, Lord, I rejoice because I have you. Should I never be healed? It does not matter because this life is temporary. It's like a vapor. And one day there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. And this won't even matter. It hurts now. be honest with you, Lord, it hurts now. And I wish it was gone. And I do pray and ask that it would but I pray your will first. And if I learn more about you through suffering than I will through being pain-free, then so be it. And that's not easy. You don't just flip on a switch and say all of a sudden. You just learn that. You learn that through suffering. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Your prayer should be constant and full of thankfulness. Not because you want something, but because you're truly, genuinely thankful. This is our tie-in to Thanksgiving week, by the way. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, because I probably won't see the rest of you till Thanksgiving. But be thankful always, not just on the fourth Thursday of every November, but every day. Wake up and say, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm alive. I can breathe. I can walk. I have hopefully enough money to get through the day. Bills are going to get paid. I know that. But, Lord, I am thankful because of you. And I thank you for what you have done. And indeed, I do thank you for what you're going to do, even though I don't know what it is. It's to be thankful constantly, to pray constantly. So that's that's the when and the how. But now how do we get answers? Because we haven't really dealt with that yet. Here's what I'll tell you, and, and I, it's a side note. So this is not the emphasis of the message, but it has to be dealt with. How to get God to answer your prayers has nothing absolutely nothing to do with your money. I went to a a website and I was reading this thing. It was bad. On this web page, there were at least 15 different tabs for giving. 15! Because 5 is too subtle. 15 different Tabs everywhere. Give and give and give and give and donate and give and partner and fund and faith and seed and this and that. Throughout this whole blog that was all about if you'll just give your seed, God will bless you. If somebody tells you to sow a seed into their ministry, turn off the radio, burn the book. If it's on the internet, throw away your computer. It's just not safe. Just get... Back away as fast as you can. But they said, if I sow this, my, my my harvest is only as big as, as how much seed I plant. Let me tell you what that really means. God will only give to you in the amount that you give to me. That's a Ponzi scheme. That's not the Lord. God answering your prayers is not based on how much money you give. And if somebody has told you that and has required money of you so that God might answer or bless you, please pray for them. Pray that that you would be forgiven for being manipulated and and falling for that. And some of you, if you listen to ministers who preach and teach that, they might have truth in other parts of their sermons or teachings or whatever. But I'm here to warn you that do not, do not give to them in such a way that makes you think that God will do something for you because you have given to them. If I've ever given you that impression, please, I, I repent, I ask for your forgiveness because that is just not true. Keep your seed. If your only motive of giving is so that you might get something, just keep it right in your pocket. And let, and let the Lord work on your heart to where you give because you want to give to God. You want to be a cheerful giver. Not because you want something out of God. That's called manipulation. That's not a, that's a manipulative relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I gave you money, now do stuff for me. All of a sudden, he's the, he's the monkey with the little thing. I threw quarters at you. Do a dance for me. That's not how we treat Jesus. And that's not who he is. Okay. Rant over. Two hands. Direct answers, or direct access rather, and the Lord's will. Because of what Jesus has done, I can't overemphasize this enough. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have direct access to Jesus. We have direct access to the very presence of God. We don't have to come to this altar. You can, but you don't have to. It's not a magic altar. Okay, You don't have to come to this building to pray. It's not a magic building. You don't have to pray on Thursdays during a during a new moon. You don't have to wait until this season or that season. You have direct access, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. You can go to God in the same way that those little children went to Jesus. And the adults were like, hey, get those little scrappy kids out of here. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. Let the children come to me. In the same way, we can just go to God. We can be bold. We can be grubby. We can just go to Him and say, God, God, I love you and this is all, this is what I need and this is what I want. I was, um, for one season, I was a, a mall Santa Claus. I know, I don't look like I could play the part, but I totally pulled it off. It was fun. Some kids got scared. I don't blame them. I looked at myself in the mirror. I'd be scared too. But other kids got up there, Santa, I want this and that and this and that and this and that, and I just want everything. It was great to see them just expressing themselves, just saying, you know what? This is Santa. I'm going to talk to them. Now, Jesus is not Santa Claus. That might be a bad metaphor. But we can come to him. We have direct access to him. That was purchased for us by Jesus. And that's the one hand. But the second hand is the Father's will. Some will say because you have direct access, you can make Jesus do whatever you want. And that's just simply not the case. Any more than your own children can make you do what they want. At the end of the day, you're the parent. They're the child. And they come into submission to you. And and Jesus is our Lord, and He's our Father, but He's our Lord and our King, and we come into submission to Him. And we can ask for anything, but at the end of the day, it's His will above ours. If you want your prayers answered, start asking for what God wants. That's the easiest way to get your prayers answered. If you're having trouble in your marriage, I believe that God wants your marriage to be strong and fruitful and wonderful. Pray that your marriage will be strengthened. Don't pray that God would make that person go away, or that God would change them. Pray, God, change me. Help me. You, know? you want that person just to finally see. And like, oh. Pray for yourself. Pray, God, I know you want them saved. How can I help? What can I do? You can't, you can't claim them into the kingdom. You need, to, you need to pray for them and then serve them and love them. But pray with the Lord's will as the 1 Peter, I believe, or maybe it's 2 Peter, says that it's not the Lord's will that any should perish. Okay, so if you see somebody who you don't think is worthy of salvation, the Bible says God doesn't want them to die not knowing Christ. So pray for them. God, I don't know how they'd ever see Jesus, but gosh, the blind saw who you were, so I pray for them. But I pray for your will. And at the end of the day, it's what you want that I want. And this is modeled after what Jesus did. Some people look at the prayers of Jesus, and I don't know why, and maybe you can enlighten me later, but they look at the prayers of Jesus and the Gospels themselves, the four, the four Gospel uh, narratives, as like play school Christianity. Like, my first Jesus. Like, like that's the beginning. And then you, you graduate from Jesus somehow, and you move on to this super spiritual plane where Jesus is kind of back there, and we learned him already, but now we are these, you no know, rogue, mercenary Christians who go about doing all kinds of stuff. I don't understand that at all because he's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. It seems to me that he is on the very top. And if we could ever even attain partially anything about him, it hasn't, it, it, it'll just blow our minds. He's not rudimentary. He's, he's not just for little kids or, or these narratives are not just simple. When Jesus prays, that's how we should pray. When Jesus gives, that's how we should give. He's the very expression of God, the Bible says. So when Jesus does something, if we do it like him, we are in the Lord's will. We are in God's will. And so when Jesus is, is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death, right before his betrayal, and he prays, may this cup pass away from me, but nevertheless your will be done above my will, that's how we model our prayer. That's how we pray, Lord. This is what I want, and this is what I need, and this is who I'm praying for. But Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do what you want. God, I, I really want a better job, but I also really want to take care of my family. and this is the job you've given me, And so be it. I really want this, or I really want that. But Lord, at the end of the day, what is your will? Now, where this comes into conflict, and some of you might have already come up with this in your head, John 14, 14 says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And, and you use this as sort of your, your blank check to get anything you want. And some people teach it in that manner. How many people here were, were here for our In Jesus' Name, You're Wrong sermon series? It was awesome, right? I'm biased, but it was awesome. Okay. One of the first things that I wanted to teach you as a church was that context. Context means everything. You cannot simply pull one scripture out of the Bible and say this is doctrine. This is, this is what this means entirely and then build from that. It's like taking and trying to build a pyramid upside down. You take one simple verse and then you start building up on top of it. The good news is that if somebody does that, all you've got to do is ask the right question and it crumbles. And so what we do is we, we build the pyramid the right way. We start with, with the context of Scripture. We, we start with or we continue with the principle, and we move on up to the application and how we actually live that out or play that out. So turn with me to John chapter 14, and we'll start in verse 1. Now I will take a drink of coffee. Ah, all right. And I'll take a drink of water. Okay. John 14.1, everybody there? No. It's all right. Take your time. All right. So if you're not there, keep going. John 14.1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Right off the bat, if you want to start somewhere to pray when you're just filled with anxiety, filled with, with trouble, verse 1 of chapter 14 is a great place to start let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me verse 2 says in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may also be or you may be also verse 4 says and you know that you know the way to where I am going now how many people here have heard of doubting Thomas here he comes Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, we always describe Doubting Thomas like, like his mom and dad were related. Like, we always talk about him like he's this guy with, like, well, Jesus, how do we know where you're going? Like, okay, first of all, Doubting Thomas gets a really bad rap because he asks questions, but I find that he asks some of the best questions and he puts himself out there. He's not afraid to ask questions. And it's very easy for those of us who kind of sit back and say, I'm not saying nothing, to point out Thomas because he's not afraid to speak up. He might be doubting Thomas, but he's talking Thomas. And he can say, he asks questions, and that's good. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we do, not, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Philip, who for some reason, he never gets a bad rap in this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Like, nobody calls Philip a name. Like, everybody just forgets about him because of Thomas. Whoever has seen, uh, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am Now, contextually, listen to the fact that Philip asked Jesus for something, and Jesus said, no. Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus retorts, no, you see me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Philip wants God the Father to come down from heaven because he's doubting. He's the one who's looking at Jesus saying, I don't know if this is true. I don't know that he's the Messiah. I don't know that he's the anointed one of God. I know about God the Father whom I've learned about. Bring, him, bring me him and then I'll believe." And Jesus doesn't say, okay. He just says, "Well, no, wait a minute, there's something wrong with you, Philip. There's something wrong with your theology. There's something wrong with the way you understand the Trinity. There's something wrong with the way that you understand me. I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. You cannot simply add in Jesus' name to your prayer request to guarantee that you will get it. The point of this and countless other scriptures is that if you are being changed by Jesus, you are desiring what Jesus wants and you are praying for what Jesus wants. So when you, when you know that Jesus and the Great Commission are a thing and that he wants us to go make disciples of all nations, we begin to pray that, Lord, bring in workers for the harvest. Help raise up ministers and teachers and preachers and evangelists. That's what he wants to do. So we pray for that too. And we might pray, make me one of those things, and God might say no. Because your gift is something else or your calling is somewhere else or, or something like that. But simply putting, in Jesus' name, I want a pony, will not guarantee that you're going to get that thing. You can't ask for anything. And if you're being changed and, 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 and going through a metamorphosis because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will begin to desire what God wants. You will begin to want to be part of his church. You will begin to want to read his word. doesn't guarantee you're going to understand everything. doesn't mean you're going to get along with everybody in the church, but you see the significance and the importance and how much he loves his word and he loves his church and God loves his son, and you will love those things too. And everything in your life will begin to stem from that love. God answers your prayers because He is good. Not because you're good. I want to take burden off your shoulders today. i got to keep all this up so God will do what I want. Let's take that all off. God does stuff because He is good. Not because we're good. If God only did stuff for us based on our performance, we would all be in trouble. None of us, none of us has done enough So that God is obligated to us. But because Jesus has died on the cross and he has given us his Holy Spirit, God is now connected and reconciled to us. We are now family. We are now adopted into God's kingdom. And God gives to us exactly what we need and sometimes even what we want. I'll be real honest with you. There's times where the Lord blesses me and my family with things that we don't need but we certainly want. And it's, and we just praise him because it'll come about in a way that we can't explain through channels that we never expected, and we'll just rejoice. And I think it'd be really silly of me to stand up here and say, God only gives you what you need. I, I think that he does that. But I think sometimes he just blesses his kids too and just gives to them because he loves them. There are times where we want things that will hurt us. You ever had a kid want something that would hurt them? You know, toy gun, motorcycle, dirt bike. Something just dangerous. And you're like, no. Like, for me, I remember at one and a half or two years old, I bought even Legos made for kids that are like seven. And Sarah was like, you can't do that. The pieces are too small. Oh, I'll be there with him. I- I'm going to be doing all the work anyways, but I- I'll make sure that he doesn't you know, swallow one of them. And he didn't. But that was semi-foolish on my part to give him something so dangerous. You know, it's like giving him little shards of glass to play with. Sometimes kids want things that are too dangerous and we have to say no or we have to say wait. And it's the same with us. Sometimes we want something in a season where it's not going to be beneficial for us. And we're trying to tell God to do it for us and, and God's just saying, you'll just hurt yourself. You shoot your eye out, kid. And so we have to, we have to, we have to be in this place of tension where we can ask for anything and be prepared for anything. Ask anything and be prepared for any answer. Because the answer might be no. No, that's not my will for you. And we have to be okay with saying, your will be done. And maybe as time goes by, we'll understand why. But there's something missing. There's something missing here. We've talked about what to pray and getting answers, but we've missed something. And it's the whole point of prayer in the first place. Turn to Luke chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little narrative as to what's going on. Jesus has begun what is called the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off with the beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blah blah blah, blessed are the poor for they shall this, beatitudes. And then he moves on into this sermon, greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus Preaching to multitudes. And so he's teaching them about lust and about divorce and about anger and about how it begins in the heart. It's not just an action that's extended uh or that, that comes from our hands, but it starts from our hearts and our minds. That even if we have these lustful thoughts towards women, we've committed adultery uh, before we've actually ever, you know, had it play out physically. And he begins to teach about prayer. Now, these people who are listening to Jesus, they've seen people pray before. Because the Pharisees, they love the pra- the praises of men. And what they do is they'd go and they'd get their box and stand on a street corner and begin to pray. They'd have these big robes and they'd be really loud. And everyone would see them pray and walk by and go, wow, that guy's really spiritual. Wow, I wish I was like that guy. But here I am, Joe Schmoa. I don't know how to pray like that. Everybody would marvel and praise them for praying. Gosh, we're, we're only as good as we are because that guy's holding us all up. And Jesus says, don't pray like that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't, don't pray like the guys who just want to get a bunch of recognition. Let me tell you about their hearts. Their hearts are for the praises of men, not for God. And so their prayers are just going out of their mouths and dropping like lead balloons. They're not praying real prayers. They may look the part, but they're not doing it. And Jesus says, this is this is how we pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jews and Gentiles here, being Jesus gives both. The Jews think... Loud, let everybody see, love praises men. The Gentiles, if I just keep talking, I'll wear God down. If I just keep saying, Father God, 500 times, eventually he'll crack and say, Okay, I'll give you the remote control car. Just stop bothering me. The Gentiles think if they just have a lot of fancy words, if they fill everything up, if they fluff it all up, then God will answer me. And Jesus says, Neither one of those are true. Because God already knows what you want. If God knows all things, then before I come to him and say, God, I need blank, he already knows. But that doesn't mean we don't pray. That means we become vulnerable. And if this were Sesame Street, that would be your word for the day, vulnerable. And this probably scares the church in America, the church around the world, and, and us Individually more than anything else because prayer at its root is us being vulnerable before the Lord and worshiping him Jesus says this pray like this Our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil this is not a script that we must recite that gets God to do what they want or do what we want, as some people might teach it. But it teaches us that first we have to, we just have to come to God knowing that that God is God and we are not. That God is our Father. That we are not in control that He is. We don't come to pray to manipulate God to do stuff. We come to God to pray to Him, to worship Him. To bow before him in submission. Number two, that it is indeed submissive. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer should be submissive to God. It's not telling God what to do. It's asking God to tell you what to do. It's submissive. It's God being God and being your father being submissive. Verse 11. It should be thankful. Give us this day our daily bread. It should recognize that that we are in need of God, that he's not in need of us. And that's not an arrogance thing. It's just a true thing. He has no need for anything. The Bible says, and I forget the exact reference, but if I was hungry, would I tell you, he says, I own cattle on a thousand hills. Why would I come to you if I needed something? So once again, if if ministers and preachers say they need you to give, just go to that verse. I'll help you find it. Number four, Prayer recognizes that we need God and God does not. Number five, prayer is repentant. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. There should be an element of repentance whenever we pray. Because let's be honest, we're really good at sinning. And Jesus is changing us and he's working on us. And every day we we get a little more refined, but every day we still have something to repent of. Forgive us our debts is us going to God and saying, God, uh, I did it again. And I, I, I my aim is you, but I got caught again. Lord, please forgive me. And then it turns and says, you know what? There's people who have sinned against me, and I expect you to forgive me. You know what? Help me to forgive them too. I thank God that he recognizes that it is hard to forgive other people. It is not easy. When someone has wronged you, hurt you, manipulated you, it's not easy to say, I forgive you. And the Lord recognizes that, so that in prayer we can even ask for help to do that. That we would ask for forgiveness for ourselves and help us to forgive other people. And lastly, prayer can be protective. You know, for, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, depending on your translation. All this brings us back to this place of vulnerability where we recognize that we're small. In the grand scheme of things, we're not that big. In the, in the vast universe that we, we don't even know the ends of, we're so small, but yet, even in that smallness, God's eyes are on us. He sees us. He desires us. He wants us. As much as we are just tiny humans on a tiny planet and floating in space somewhere, that God has His eyes on us. And He calls us to be vulnerable before Him to be open. And you read the prayers of the Psalms. I'm hoping that's what you're getting. That these men, that they went before God. Men, take note of this. The Psalms were written by men who went before God and just poured their hearts out and said, Lord, I'm dying. It hurts. I need your help. I take my cues of how to be a man based on the Bible. And that's what these men did, and that's what God approves of, and that's what being a man is. Being vulnerable before the Lord. And we have experiences that tell us not to be vulnerable. And I would say, in front of some people, yeah, that's probably a good idea. If you're in the presence of somebody who's a known con artist, don't don't give them your bank account information. You know? If you if you have somebody who you know just is going to 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 leech and to mooch off of you in some way that that's their mode of living, then yeah, be a little protective. You know, protect your family, protect your wife, protect your home. But before the Lord, you need not to be protective. You need to be vulnerable and open and just lay it all out. To be open before him. So let's go back to our questions, and then we'll open up Q&A, and then we'll, then we'll actually pray, because I think if we're going to preach on prayer, we should actually pray. So the first is, is it best to not pray for someone that you should put out of your life? I think this is a pretty easy question. I think if there's somebody you should put out of your life, whoever you are, if there's somebody you should put out of your life, then there's only a few pray, prayers you can pray for them, that they would know Jesus, and they would get things right. Not to bring them back into your life, Maybe reconciliation later, but if you—if the Lord has impressed upon you to put this person out of your life, you should respect that and say, "Okay, I'll put them out of my life. I won't—I won't seek ways to kind of bring them back in until Lord, maybe you give me the green light someday." And even then, I'm going to test that a lot. Number two, where do we go in the Bible? Let me—let me read what it says. Let's say I'm having a bad day and want to pray. Where do I go in the Bible? Could you give me direction for marriage, parenting, hardship, etc.? I love this question. Because the first part of the question nails it on the top of the head. Where do I go in the Bible? We need to recognize that the Bible may not talk about all things, but the answers that we need about life are found here. And we start here. We start with the Word of God. And when someone gives us theory, we wait against the Word of God. The Bible is where we start, where we continue, and where we finish. And so if we have a question about anything, we can start in the Bible. And I understand that some of you, I just don't know where to start. I understand that. if you go and Google some of these things, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Because anybody with a few dollars and a computer can put anything they want on the Internet. A friend of mine told a story, uh, Pastor Bob actually, about him talking to somebody about the Internet. and, And somebody said, well, if it was on the Internet, it must be true. Nobody would put anything on the Internet that wasn't true. And Bob said, Well, if that's the case, then there's a lot of hot young singles that want to meet me. We know that's not true. The, the, the internet's full of lies, and even the truths are sometimes lies. So we have to be careful. Specifically, if you want answers to answer these questions, whoever you are, marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 are very good verses. I'll read them to you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, Paul quotes the book of Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, now let the wife see that she respects her husband. If I have married any of you in this church or anywhere else, I have started and ended with this scripture. I believe that the wisdom of the world pales in comparison to the wisdom found in Ephesians chapter 5 in regards to husbands and wives. And my encouragement is always, husbands don't read this and say, hey wife, that's what you're supposed to do. And wives aren't supposed to read it and say, hey husband, this is what you're supposed to do. And they get a big bickering match. Husbands should look at that and say, okay, you know what? Twice as many verses are dedicated towards me. Paul's trying to tell me something. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell me something. I'm a little thick, but but I, I see the math here. That I should love my wife as Jesus loved the church. That's my example. He's my example. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as the church is submissive to Jesus. And instantly, but he'll take advantage of me. Yes, there, there's no warning that you won't be taken advantage of in the same way that the church doesn't take advantage of Jesus. But these are our roles. These are what we are to we are to love our wives as we as we love ourselves. but she'll disrespect yeah, she might. But what's your role what, I wouldn't be surprised if you focus on what you should do and she focused on what she should do if things didn't just start to get better. If you focus both on Jesus, you won't start gravitating towards one another as you're drawn into him. Submit yourselves to Christ, submit yourselves to each other, love one another, and respect one another. Parenting. That's one of my favorite verses on parenting. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven or verse four. Write these down, because I'm just gonna read them. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema or the something like that. Ben back me up here. The Shema, right? Yeah, okay. Thanks, Harry. Um, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus said this was the greatest commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What does this mean? This means that just like prayer, talking about Jesus becomes an everyday part of your life. If you're a parent, you should teach your children about Jesus. The the children's ministry will do a great job. They're going to have an hour at best on Sundays to teach your kids. The rest is all up to you. The rest of the week is all up to you to teach them. And through Moses, God says, when you wake up, Find reasons to talk about it. When you're walking by the wayside, talk about the beauty of creation. When you're, when you're, when you're just hanging out, when you're having dinner, when you're laying down for bed, talk about Jesus. Talk about the Lord. Tell the, tell your kids what God has done for you. Tell them what you're praying for. If it's that the house doesn't get foreclosed on, don't tell them like that. Well, we don't want the bank to take the house away. Night night, kids. Hope you're here in the morning. <laughs> you know, don't don't go there. Uh, we're just praying that that the Lord will continue to provide for us. And we know that the Lord will because the Bible tells us that he'll continue to provide and He loves us and all that. He'll give it to us us we, we need to focus on his kingdom. things are bad, but we should focus on his kingdom. When you rise, when you lie down. how, how should we now this is general. The Bible doesn't speak specifically like, what do I do when my son gets Nerf, uh, a piece of a Nerf football caught up his nose and I have to take him to the doctor to get it removed? I, I, I've had people had that happen to them before. Um, uh, take him to the doctor and have the doctor take it out. The Bible doesn't say what to do in that circumstance because common sense that God has given us through his you know, general grace is already there. But how should we teach them about the Lord? How do we introduce them about God? Here's what I'm convinced of. There's a lot of people who say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to impose that on my children. My goodness, I want them to think for themselves. Kids will eat sugar and dress up like superheroes all day long if you let them, right? So there has to be some intervention here. Um, now, I understand the heart behind that. Some folks have had Jesus pushed upon them, and it, 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 it caused them to push back. And so the last thing they want to do is do that to the children. I, I respect that. But here's here's the way I look at it. I've never had to convince a child that birthday cake tastes good. I simply present them with birthday cake and they're like, oh, cake! And they flock to it. I believe that if you live. The life Jesus has called you to, and you love Jesus as a parent, and you seek Him diligently, and you love His Word in church, I believe at some point the kids will turn around and say, you know what? Church is pretty cool, and Jesus is a nice guy, and I should, I should, you know, I should give myself to this because mom and dad have done that too. And I love mom and dad, and they love me. You're not forcing it upon them, but you certainly are giving it to them. Bible says, you know, if you train up a child, you know, later on they'll eventually get things right. Most people preach that as well. If you just do things right the first time, they'll never go away. No, kids still stray. How many people here have kids that are just, you raise them in church and they're just off doing who knows what? Okay, that's because people make choices and they make bad choices. But you have planted in them hopefully the seeds that will bear fruit someday. And so talk about Jesus. Don't force it in there. Just say, hey. This is I I do that all the time. Something will happen. Well, I remember when this happened to me, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and it was crazy. I didn't know what I was going to do, but psh, God's the hero, and He's awesome. Oh wow, really? Yeah, yeah. My my children love coming to church. They love seeing you guys. They they want to meet new kids every Sunday. So bring more kids. They want to meet new kids. I wonder if the, my daughter, I, I there might be a new friend for me there today. Yeah, there might be. Now adults think that way come to church. There might be somebody there to be a friend with today and said, oh, he's going to preach for a long time and he's going to make me write stuff down. I forgot my Bible again. Like, Come on. just What am I going to do today? What Am I going to go help Vi in the back make some stuff? I'm not here to puff up Vi, but have you seen the spread back there? That's all her by herself. If you want to help her out, I'm sure she'd love that. And if somebody is helping you, Vi, I'm sorry. I don't want to miss you for doing that, but certainly the more the merrier hardship this is a good one James chapter 2 or excuse me James chapter 1 verse 2 says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing there, hardships are going to come trials are going to happen Life is going to suck. I'm sorry. It's just going to at some point. People are going to die, get sick, get diagnosed. Something's going to happen. And, I, and there's plenty of books and preachers and sermons and blah, blah, blah that will tell you, well, all that should just go away if you just say this or do this or bring that or so this. And then all that magical stuff will go away. I'm here to tell you that the apostles still died at the hands of sinful men. When, when it came time to be Tested and tried for their beliefs. They were sawn in two. They were beheaded. They were crucified upside down. They were burned alive. They were thrown out of windows. I mean, persecution happens because we're Christians. Because our faith is in Christ. And for no other reason. When when we don't follow Christ, the world doesn't care. But when we do and we mention His name, literally all hell breaks loose because of that name hardships are going to come. And some hardships are going to come because we are not that bright. Like, I see this great emphasis in the prosperity gospel to to relieve your debts. God's going to relieve your debts. And I think back at my debt, and I was dumb. My debt didn't come because I just met, you know, maybe for you, some of you, it was a medical condition, and you had no insurance. Okay, I, yeah, I get that. But, you know, buying a Game Boy with a credit card, like, kind of I kind of asked for that one you know going out to eat five nights a week and just putting out that's just me asking for it right God might could certainly relieve our debts but let's not make it look like I'm being persecuted because I'm foolish with money let's let's call things what they are some hardships are just gonna come out of nowhere and we're not gonna there's gonna be no rhyme or reason and and James says. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the thing. Some of you come and say, I want this to end now. Pray a prayer that makes it stop. And I would point to James 1 and 2 and say, you know what? You're going through a trial right now. And and I could pray that it would go away, but at the same time, God says that it's going to have a lasting effect in your life that will make you complete and whole in Him. There's something that you are forsaking if it ends now. If you give up now, there's something that could come later that you're going to miss out on. You're not going to be the person, the man, the woman that you're supposed to be because you tapped out early. Endure. Say, it hurts, but I'm going to keep going. I don't want to give up, Lord. Please help me to not give up. Because James says that steadfastness will produce something. Everything. Everything goes back to Jesus. Prayer is all about Jesus. We go to Jesus. We pray in His name. We come to Him because He has died for us. We have power in our prayer because He has sent us the Holy Spirit. And above all things, we seek to glorify Him. I want to pray with you. And I want us to pray. I know you have needs. And you can pray with me as I pray for you. But I want us to just seek Jesus right this second. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Your word says that that is the name above all names. Excuse me, Lord. It's that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At his name, every knee shall bow. It's this name that we have been given, that we can come into your presence and even have the audacity to ask for anything. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with the right words. We can come to you pleasantly, that we can come to you obnoxiously, Demanding. We can come to you with, with dirty hands or with a clean heart. We can come to you in so many different ways. The point is we can come to you. That regardless of whether we're standing or kneeling or our hands are folded or clenched or whether our heads are bowed or up or our eyes are closed or open, whether we are screaming at the top of our lungs or whispering so quietly that nobody else hears us, even if it's internal in that, in that consciousness of our of our mind and heart that only you and I hear. Lord, I pray that we would above all things just simply pray that we would pray constantly with thanksgiving. That we would petition and intercede. That we would know that you give good gifts to your children and the greatest gift that you've given us along with Jesus or through Jesus rather is the Holy Spirit. That we have all that we ever need in Him, including the Giver of Life. And Lord, for some of us today, life is not so good. It hurts. It's, it's trying. People don't like us. We're confused. But Lord, we focus on You. Not because that will fix all these things, but it puts them all in the proper perspective. That we can, like in John 14, let our hearts not be troubled because we know that You love us. And Jesus, As we ask questions and go into this Q&A part, Lord, I pray that you would bring out questions and that, Lord, you would, in every sense of the word, help me because I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. So I pray for answers, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory. You are worthy to be worshiped and praised. In Jesus' name, amen.